Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that your right lung takes in more air than your left lung. And that has nothing to do with you being right-handed or left-handed. It has to do with the fact that you've got to have some space in your chest for your heart. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. In 2005, Kristen Ra walked away from her corporate career in executive level operations to focus on her true passion, which is healthy food. She'd already been a vegan for two years and became a raw vegan chef, a lifestyle coach, and eventually became an author of 12 books on the raw vegan lifestyle. But in November of last year, in 2012, she started introducing high-quality animal products into her family's diet and very quickly saw huge improvements across the board in health. She eats a diet that includes grass-fed beef and grass-fed butter, bison, pastured eggs, wild-caught seafood, and avoids grains, gluten, and soy. What she did was really controversial in the vegan and raw food community because she's one of the leaders. But what she did was for her family because Kristen has a young child and noticed the differences during, I believe, during the pregnancy as well as uh, just for a child. So the reason I wanted to bring Kristen on the show today was not that I wanted to go, ha ha, I told you so, vegans. That's not the point at all. I have thought for a long time, being a former raw vegan myself, that there is a very similar grain of thought in the careful preparation and selection of food that goes into a proper vegan diet as well as into the Bulletproof diet and that the focus on local and quality is the uniting element between what happens in a vegan perspective on life as well as on the Bulletproof perspective. So I look at vegans and and the Bulletproof diet is being kind of opposite because one has meat, one doesn't. But on the other hand, compared to the standard American diet, there's a lot more commonality than difference. So from that perspective, Kristen, welcome to the show. I'm so pleased to have you on today. 
Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, as I understand it, uh, when we just started getting set up on the video, you are actually drinking Bulletproof coffee. Is that true? Iced Bulletproof coffee. I am indeed. <laughs> nice. All right. Why did you become a vegan about, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, it's been about a decade. Um, I read the book Diet for a New America by John Robbins. And the interesting thing about that is I read it in about a decade ago, but it was actually written in, I believe, the 1980s. And that book described the slaughterhouses and animal business, and it was horrific to me as an animal lover. And it also talked about the health benefits of being vegan. So when I finished that book, it to me was a no-brainer to go vegan. I was already passionate about health. I had been a bodybuilder in college and was always trying different diets and all that stuff. So it was a real passion of mine to even read a diet book. And if I thought to myself, I'm helping animals and I'm doing the healthy thing. And oh, by the way, the environment is helped. So this is great. When I look back on that, you know, in the 1980s, it's a different scene for, it was a different scene for vegans as it is today. I mean, and even animals. So now we have these grass-fed options, high-quality animal products where the animals are taken care of. They live great lives. That wasn't the case, or at least it wasn't talked about very much yeah. back then. It wasn't as common. So I couldn't just go online and order a grass-fed bison or anything. So there's a big difference between then. So it, today, had I read that book, I probably would have said, well, wait a minute. Things aren't always like that. Sure they are, but there's these other, there are these other options. So that was a big key difference to me looking back. So it was, it was that book that triggered it. And when I went into the vegan diet, I did feel better for a while because I was cutting out some of the crap that was in my diet. But over the period of a few years, back when I was a newbie vegan, you know, you start eating more grains and you start eating soy and all that stuff. And I started to feel a little sluggish again. So I found raw. And this was raw maybe seven years ago before it was as popular as it is now. That was when I did um, it too. Yeah. Oh, so way back then. So there's like a few websites and you've got these people talking about how amazing it is. And they've been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years, some of these people. And I thought, well, that's it. That's what I need. I need to clean up my vegan diet even more. So I cut out some of the grains and went all raw for a while. But that just felt too unbalanced to me. So I started over the years introducing some cooked vegan foods back in, which included your typical cooked vegan foods, grains and, and tofu and tofurkey. You know, yeah. tofurkey. And, <laughs> and then when you think about it, the, the vegan diet has changed over the past decade. Now you go into Whole Foods and almost everything in their freezer aisle is, you know, fake meat and garden and just, you know, stuff that's loaded with unhealthy things. And that became part of my diet, you know, and I still did tons of raw and I did tons of green juice and smoothies. I mean, we have the Norwalk juicer. I mean, yep. the creme de la creme, um, you know, we have all of the high quality uh, kitchen appliances and stuff. But even with a high raw diet with some cooked vegan elements over a decade, over that long of a period of time, um, I would say about four years ago, I started to feel some changes. Um, but I didn't know what it was. I, I didn't think it was my diet because I was so confident that my vegan diet was the best diet in the world. I mean, I surrounded myself with those books and those people and those websites and you've got doctors promoting it. And I thought it was the right thing to do. So I ignored the idea that it could be my diet that was a problem. And I thought, oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm too stressed. Yeah. You know, I'm not exercising enough, things like that. So I just went off on a huge tangent. I'm sorry, I can do no, that. The, what, what you're describing is is a perfect example of, of what happened to me too. And I, I sort of call it the vegan trap. Because when you first do either vegan and you eliminate all the anti-nutrients in the standard American diet, or at least some of them because you introduce new ones, uh, you're going to feel better. You're going to lose weight. And because you've changed your fatty acid intake, you'll actually feel an increase in energy for three months, maybe even four or five months. And it has to do with the way your mitochondria behaves in the presence of higher amounts of omega-6 oils that are not oxidized. Mm -hmm. But that's the amount of time it takes to form a new habit. So after six weeks of doing this new diet, you feel good, you've lost weight, you have a lot of clarity. Then in your mind, you go, check, the diet works. And after that, you're not going to reconsider the diet because you already know it works. So then you go down this path. And for me, it was a good, I want to say, probably 
six months of all raw and then I of all raw vegan. And then I just noticed I was not doing as well. And I'm very focused and aware of whether my brain's working or not because I've had problems with it. And I, I realized I needed to add meat in. So I did raw omnivore for a while, but it, it was that, you know, that, that sort of weird transition between the two of saying, okay, I, I feel really good. I'm lean, like things are working. And then to do that, when I look at and I compare where I am now versus where I was then when I was much younger, I'm far better off now. And one of the people who sometimes attends the anti-aging group that I run called Silicon Valley Health Institute has been a raw vegan, 100% very strict for 35 years. And she's a wonderful human being and very difficult to talk to because like her brain is just like it's going all over the place. And that sort of thing it does happen. And this is not to say vegans are bad people or doing anything wrong. They care as much about the environment as I do. It's just that like, you have to step outside yourself, look back and say, is this working for me now? And if it is great, but if it's not, don't be too dogmatic about anything, including even the bulletproof diet. It doesn't matter. And you develop the level of self-awareness to go, all right, I'm going to step outside the paradigm that I'm used to. And so kudos to you. Like that takes a lot of courage. It was very hard because my reason for going vegan was ethics yeah. and, you know, it wasn't just health. So when it's health, you are more open minded, I think, to other diets. But when it's for the ethics and animals, I mean, I was militant about it and, you know, member of PETA and, you know, you, know, you name it. So um, it was it was my identity, you know, yeah. vegan T-shirts, vegan hats, <laughs> you know, yeah, everything. Kale so, on a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it was. Um, it was like an identity crisis when I saw my toddler not doing well and she had been breastfed for a couple of years. Um, so I was glad she got that nutrition, which, you know, who knows how great my breast milk was. I don't even know now when I think about it, but I can't, I can't beat myself up too much because, um, I just, it stresses me out. You but you've been eating coconut milk, right? <laughs> I did coconut milk. There, there yeah. you go. So at least you got, you know, some of the <clears throat> right fats right there into the milk. That's a huge thing that most women don't do now. So right. you, you did, you did some things right. That's good. But right? I needed, I needed retinol. Yeah. And you know, you just don't get that on a vegan diet. Yeah. So anyway, um, when I saw that my daughter, uh, might not be thriving and I was just stressed about it because it's like, I, I you have to get calories into a child yeah. and it's like, okay, she's not really, you know, you've got beans, and you've got brown rice and you've got tofu. And I thought all those things were fine. But when I looked at the nutrient value of those, they were poor. And I thought, well, gosh, what am I going to do? I got to get something in her. So, I mean, I would give her some, some kind of uh, like Chipotle burrito we would share. And just to get her to eat the tortilla, to get the calories in. And I instinctively knew it was not right. But I didn't know what else to do. I felt like my hands were tied because I'm like, nope, we're vegan. This is just the way it is. Um, but then I started having dreams about eggs <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't ignore it. I'm like, you know, is this telling me something? And I, I was listening to some podcasts of some people that, um, weren't huge omnivores, but they weren't totally vegan either. And they kept talking about balance. And I thought to myself, our vegan diet's not balanced. You can't have a, a vegan diet and be balanced. It's to one extreme. So those things I started thinking about and I opened my mind and I was like, what if, you know, what if? And, and I always knew I could go back. If I realized that this wasn't right, I knew I could go back. So um, we jumped in and oh my God, the improvements. Oh my God, Dave. <laughs> Your skin looks great. <laughs> it, you know, when you have zits, it's depressing. And any woman out there or any man knows that. It is just, yeah. it's awful. And my skin cleared up and I got my glow back and my, I was looking old. I'm now 37. I just turned 37, but I was 36 while all this was happening. And I was starting to get wrinkles and I thought, what the heck? I'm eating this high antioxidant diet. You know, I get coconut oil in my diet. Why am I getting wrinkles? My family doesn't have a history of wrinkles at an early age. My butt was sagging. <laughs> and oh, it was awful. It was embarrassing. And my knees were sagging. I'm like, what the frack? <laughs> Am I 80? You know, it was um, it, those things, they really opened my eyes and they're gone. 
So the wrinkles yeah. are improved, the zits are gone, and my knees don't sag. And the thing I've changed is my diet. That is a pretty powerful testimonial. Now, well, you... there's more. Oh, there's more. There's more. My um, my monthly cycle. Yeah. Textbook perfect. Textbook perfect. Oh mm -hmm. my God. I've never had that in my entire life. Not even when I was 15, 16, 17. Wow. It's like it comes and goes. It's no big deal. There's no PMS. It's amazing. It's not supposed to be painful or make you want to kill people from an evolutionary perspective. It's kind of amazing that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Although a bit of a tangent, but uh, my wife, a physician, you know, co-author of the Better Baby book and all, she found a study somewhere or another, and I will post links to this if I can find it again, that said that for highly intelligent women, uh, when they were ovulating, not during their cycle, but during the ovulation phase of the cycle, uh, that their IQ measurably dropped, <laughs> which <laughs> she, she makes her match. She says, I can feel it. You know, my, my brain just <laughs> turned off. And she said, this is obviously from an evolutionary perspective. So then, you know, I'll have more incentive to get pregnant. You know, what we're saying like, like rationally, I might decide I don't want to. But then if my rationality gets turned down a bit, then my fertility, you know, fertility high, rationality low. Hmm, what's going to happen? That's so interesting. It's kind of cool. Once you get the diet clean that you could notice something like that, because I always thought she was joking. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you're ovulating. So like you forgot everything. Like, what's the deal with that? Just, yeah, who are you? <laughs> Well, you know, talking about fertility, we had problems with fertility um, when we conceived Kamea. So we actually flew out to New York and went to New Hope Fertility to get help conceiving her. And now that I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, it was probably my diet that at yeah. least contributed to it. And kudos to you for that Better Baby book. I really like it. And your Upgraded Chef. I dig oh, both those books. Thank you. That's, that's a yeah. huge compliment for someone who has 12 cookbooks out <laughs> Yeah, so I am, I'm quite confident that, you know, we're going to try for a second one and this time we're going to do it naturally. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Well, if it helps and you want to talk with Lana or me uh, just one-on-one, -on -one, um, I'd be more than happy to help. It's, I appreciate that. It's one of the most impactful things you can do. You know, spend an hour and, you know, help a, a, a new life come in in the most perfect way that we can arrange at the time. So it's, it's, it's just important. Thank you. Now... I'm intrigued. What do you eat now? So, I mean, you, you have this incredible knowledge base as, as a vegan and a raw vegan, and I'm assuming you didn't dump all that. So you're, you're in the kind of, you know, bulletproof and some of the paleo or primal camp. Like, what's a typical day look like for you? Well, I was, when I first transitioned over, we did it in steps, which I think was really helpful, especially for somebody coming from and going uh, vegan for ethical reasons. So we started with eggs and then we added ghee and high vitamin butter oil. And we added um, sardines. And then we started getting into grass-fed meats. And I didn't really know how to label it. And I, I don't like to be labeled and I don't want to be in a label. Yet at the same time, when somebody asks you, you don't want to spend, you know, five minutes trying to describe what the diet is. But honestly, it was technically wasn't paleo because I was doing ghee and, and yeah. the, the butter oil. And it wasn't really nourishing traditions or Weston A. Price because I wasn't really into the sprouted grains. And I wasn't, I, I haven't done raw milk. I've done some raw cheese here and there, but it's, that's not a big staple in our diet. So I'm like, what am I? I don't know. So I just kind of ignored it for a while. And I would say that it took about six months and I really got my diet dialed in to where I'm comfortable. I experimented with different things. And I was telling my husband a couple weeks ago, I'm like, you know, we're bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> we're like the bulletproof diet. That's, you know, that's basically what we're doing. We're, we're soy-free and gluten-free and grain-free. That's probably the easiest thing to say to people. And yeah. then it's that we're high-quality animal products. Um, I'm a real stickler for it. Uh, everything's organic and grass-fed, and um, I don't mind spending more money on it because it's worth it to me. So I will, you know, make compromises and not spend on a fancy car because I've got my enormous freezer loaded with grass-fed animal products and um, wild-caught fish and stuff. So uh, what does a day look like for me? Well, breakfast is actually usually bulletproof coffee. And a couple of reasons for that. The first reason is that it's easy. 
Yeah, it's so easy. It's so easy. And I have a toddler. So this mama needs something easy so that I can whip it up quickly and then I can feed her what I'm going to feed her. And that usually sustains me for a couple of hours. Now, it would sustain me longer, but I'm not trying to lose weight and I'm not trying to fast for too long. So I use it as like a mini breakfast and it works perfectly that way. And I, I, I use your upgraded beans and I usually mix the decaf with the regular. So I'm not doing too much caffeine, but I know, I think I heard you say that your regular beans are lower in caffeine anyway. They are. So that, you know, that makes me, that makes me feel good because we are trying to conceive. So, you know, I want to have too much caffeine. You don't want to overdo the caffeine then. But by the way, I want to interrupt for just a second. And for listeners, I did not know that you that you use bulletproof coffee at all uh, when I set up the interview, or until literally this morning when we were getting the video going. You said, "Oh, look, I'm drinking it." I'm like, "Oh, that, this is so cool!" So this is not a pre-programmed infomercial in any way, shape, or form. This is something no. you discovered on your own, and uh, so cool. <laughs> no, but you know, when I like a product, I'm a raving fan, and so I had to give you props and talk about it briefly. So um, it's it's really cool because you know I'm going to share this podcast obviously with all my listeners, and everybody doesn't know really what I'm doing now. They know that I went omnivore, but I didn't really give them too many details. So this is a great opportunity for me to talk about you know what is Kristen doing today. So okay, so, so that's I, your breakfast. That's my breakfast, okay. yes. And then usually I'll have, um, after I, I pull out my sous vide and I put in some pastured organic eggs because it gives me a really runny yolk and it doesn't cook them too much. Sometimes Now, let me back up. Sometimes I put some raw egg yolks in my uh, Bulletproof coffee, yeah, so I do I, that sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's really nice and frothy that way. I, I, I've enjoyed that as well. Yeah, so... Um, and so I'll usually do some kind of eggs and um, vegetables, and lunch is usually some kind of salad or sometimes I'll do a green smoothie, but I don't do, I don't load it up with kale or anything. It's usually like a cucumber and avocado and some romaine lettuce and maybe some cilantro and a squeeze of fresh lemon juice. You really are bulletproof, aren't you? That, I, I would drink that <laughs> totally. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty much in the zone on your chart that is to the left for the most part. Um, and I don't do a whole lot of snacking, but sometimes I'll make a baked paleo bread, but it will have organic almond flour in it. And I will use butter instead of, you know, coconut oil sometimes. Um, sometimes I do that. We don't do that a whole lot, but once in a while. And then dinner is, uh, and sometimes breakfast is a leftover from dinner. Yeah. So, you know, there's rotating breakfast and dinner is always some kind of wild caught fish, um, sockeye salmon or grass fed beef. Uh, once a week, maybe we do pastured organic soy free chicken. Um, and I usually cook it in the slow cooker so that it's not getting too hot in right. it doesn't char or anything. Um, and I'm really into organ meats. <laughs> now, I say that because I'm adventurous in that. And yeah. I'm really hardcore when it comes to my diet. Um, I get excited when I eat healthy. So like some people are like, oh, isn't it hard? And isn't it, don't you feel deprived? And I'm like, no. If I go out to a restaurant or if I'm at a social function and if I can't get my high quality food, then I feel deprived. Me too. I you love know? that. Yeah. So I really love it. And organ meats are really nutritious. So um, I've only dabbled in liver and I've That's only- the hardest one. <laughs> it's, dude, I know. I know it's the hardest one. So I'm working on it though. And I know it's really good for me. So um, when I get some good recipes nailed, I'll definitely share them. But are, we're still you, working on those. Are you on the desiccated liver tablets? I haven't done those yet. Uh you definitely should try that out because I, I really, I've done raw lamb liver smoothies and, and you know, it's one of the few things I couldn't drink. <laughs> and it turns out for me that perfectly prepared liver where you soak it in vinegar or milk or whatever it is to get rid of that horrible flavor, it can be okay, but it's never uh, so far at least been something that I love. But these little capsules, I think it's three capsules equals one ounce of desiccated grass fed liver. So it's an easy way to get it kind of on a daily basis without having to do the work. And what you can do there that's particularly interesting is uh, you can give those to kids. You can mix, you can open a capsule and mix it in. My kids learn to take capsules. You know, I have two. So like, oh, you know, your sister does it. So my three-year-old, if we'd let him, would take five capsules at a time and, and just to show he could. But uh, kids that age really do learn to do it. If you start them on like tiny krill oil capsules, they'll do it in days. But then all of a sudden you're getting a little bit of liver into the kids every day. And it's kind of, I think, really important. So it, we just at breakfast, they get one of those and they get a magnesium and they're pretty happy with that. 
I like that. Um, fortunately, my husband was raised eating liver periodically, so he doesn't mind if I bring it to the table, and my daughter loves it. Oh, so, cool. So then you're, you're golden. So I'm like set, yeah. But now okay. I have I have heart, tongue, and kidneys in my freezer, and they're hiding right now <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't braved them yet, but I'm, uh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> it, it's really an exploration of food. Because yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I know organ meats are really good, but my freezer has more organ meat than it should because I put off on cooking that liver. Yeah. Like, uh, fortunately, my Swedish wife is like, oh, spoiled fish, we'll eat that. <laughs> you know, the, the Swedish diet's like that. So for her, liver is this amazing treat. And, and I kind of shudder and go, all right, I'm going to make myself eat it. Um, but like getting a kidney cooked just right, I've had some that are delicious, believe it or not. But I've had other ones where I'm like, Okay, I'm going to eat it because it's good for me, and I'm not going to chew right. it that much. So it's okay. Like it, It's a game, and you see what – if there's ever a time when you get the perfect organ meat recipe, or I do, please publish it. <laughs> I will. And you know, they do say like with kids, if they don't like something at first, try it up to 15 times, and yeah. that works for adults too. So, Yeah, I've tried that with habaneros on the kids. It's not working. <laughs> <laughs> Not really for everyone listening. Yeah, you're bad. <laughs> so we'll switch switch gears just a little bit because you're you're a pretty accomplished chef. And you use some pretty unusual ingredients in the kitchen. You experiment a lot. What what are your favorite ingredients that no one would think you were using or just things that no one's heard of? Oh wow, what a good question no one has heard of um you're stumping me because i've what i've done is i've really gone back to really traditional foods and what i've what i've been doing the past month or so as i really come full circle and fine-tune my diet is i really like keeping things simple and not as many ingredients but maybe cooking them properly so that they taste really good so, um, you know, when I make my steak, I only season it with salt. I don't even use black pepper anymore. I don't yeah. use a whole lot of garlic and I'm Italian and I used to use a lot of garlic, but I don't use a whole lot of it anymore. I'm really interested in herbs, fresh herbs. So, yes. you know, I think that's where you can really play and just give a, a lot of punch to your dish. And it just, it tastes elegant to have fresh herbs. I think the question would be, what kind of weird stuff did you eat when you were vegan? Because I tried everything. I mean, I went into superfoods and super herbs and Chinese tonic herbs and all these things, green powders and baobab sweetener and all these things to try to get a well-rounded diet. And the problem with that for vegan listeners, the potential problem with that is that Unless you're going to do something almost every day, which you're probably not going to want green powder every day or baobab sweetener for extra calcium or, you know, something like that, then it doesn't become a smart strategy. So when you're eating high quality animal products, you get a lot of well-rounded nutrients and you get them dripping in all day long every day. So I think the weird stuff was kind of before. Now I'm more simple, which makes it easier for me. You know, I think where I get a little... Uh, maybe not as common as you know, I have a sous vide cooker. And the reason I have a sous vide is because I was making too many grass fed steaks like shoe leather. You know, when yeah. I first went into omnivore land, I, you know, I hadn't cooked meat in a decade. And even back a decade ago, I wasn't, you know, I was young, I was in college, I wasn't making much in the kitchen. So here I am, I've got these high quality steaks and, and products, and I'm destroying them. So God love my husband. He goes online, goes onto Reddit and Mm -hmm. finds out about the sous vide. And I had seen the sous vide used on Top Chef and cooking shows and stuff. But I had never thought you could have one in your kitchen at home. And turns out there's a a home version. And so once I got that and I made steak in it for the first time, I was hooked because I can cook it at a low temperature. It's perfect every time you can damn near cut it with a fork. It's so tender and delicious. So I use a sous vide. I use slow cookers all the time. I have four of them of different sizes. Um, I use fancy pots and pans. I like the cast iron enameled from Le Creuset. Um, I've got my Vitamix and, you know, different things like that. So I might not have super unique ingredients, but I kind of go unique with my cookware. It turns out if you know what you're doing in, in the kitchen with simple ingredients, magic stuff happens. 
uh, I couldn't agree more with your perspective there. That in fact, that's why the upgraded chef was more about techniques than about recipes. I'm like, if you want a different recipe, instead of oregano, add thyme. It tastes different. <laughs> like it's not that hard to have thousands of variations, but if right. you know how to do it, um, my first, in fact, the sous vide I still use today. Uh, was uh, I put it together in 2005 and there was no home version at all. So it's a laboratory temperature controller straight out of like a chemistry college supply textbook thing hooked up with a commercial grade sushi cooker, like a sushi rice cooker. Yep. So it's like this kind of unwieldy science project looking thing, but it does make really tender meat you know, ribs that fall off the bone and, and things like that. So if you've never tried sous vide uh, and you're listening to this, you can find a restaurant or a friend who does it, or for a while, Costco was selling them about 300 bucks for a sous vide cooker. And what's cool as a biohacker is that you can control the temperature. So you say, I want exactly, you know, 124 degrees or 119 degrees. And it sounds really weird, but when you keep the temperature within one degree of that, what happens to the proteins in your meat or even your vegetables are that only some of them break down into nature, others don't. What I determined over years of playing with this was that the degree of denaturing affected my inflammation levels, but it also affects the flavor in amazing ways. So there's a set of, of we'll call them kitchen hackers, who are like going after the ultimate flavor and adding ingredients from God knows what into this in order to make it kind of perfect. And then there's guys like me who are saying, well, how do I use this to make the best health impact? Now, where do you lie, um, Kristen? Are you like flavor or health, or do you kind of mix the both when you're concocting a sous vide recipe like what do you what do you what's your end goal result well if it's um i would say probably i don't know i guess kind of a mix but i'm i'm really into optimizing my health and having it the best i can have it so i try to cook my food to the highest quality which means not destroying it but the the great thing is by using just fresh herbs and some sea salt, um, fresh citrus or, or lemon zest. I mean, you transform a dish that's both equally amazing in flavor, but super healthy. Yeah. So I really, I try to do both and I take it on as a challenge to do so. So really the weirdest thing you eat now is organ meat. Yep. That's less weird than those vegan hot dogs, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I know. I mean... I can say that now, but I didn't say that, you know, two years ago. But, oh, my God, when I look at those packages, yeah. I'm like, ew. And earth balance? Wow. I, I actually get a little, just a little sad, actually, when I see well-meaning uh, parents in the store with, with young, very young children going through and saying, I'm going to do something extra for my family. I'm going to spend an extra two bucks on this Franken food because it's vegan. And the food manufacturers know very well that that vegan product was a lot cheaper to manufacture than one with healthy meat or even unhealthy meat in it. So they're, they're like, hmm, I sold a low-calorie vegan thing for a premium. So what they're doing is extracting maximum profit, delivering the minimum amount of food and even negative health. I don't think it's because you know, there's an evil, dark corporation controlling all that. I just think that when you make some core assumptions about the idea that when you put less energy in your food, that somehow your body will have more energy. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. And you know, when, when you make certain assumptions about what ought to go in the body, and then you don't track results, you end up there. So you see these poor parents who aren't biohackers. They're not nutritionally particularly aware. They just know that they're doing what they read about and what is promoted in grocery stores as the healthy option. And you can see it in the weight of the children. Did you notice that in your kids, like weight gain after going to this diet? Not fat gain, but just like more density? Oh, solid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's, my toddler is more yeah. solid. She's definitely, her, the dark circles under her eyes went away. Oh, yeah. She has a glow to her skin too. Her hair is better. Her teeth are better. That was wow. another thing. My teeth, I cracked two teeth while being vegan, broke wow. two teeth over the span of the, probably like the last five years is when I had a lot of tooth problems. Again, I thought, oh, maybe I'm crunching too many raw carrots or something because it's not going to be my diet. Certainly I have <laughs> a good diet. And you know what? I was not getting the right fat soluble nutrients for healthy teeth. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's what it is. It is what it is, you know, but you know, when you talk about other parents, when I came out and told people about the changes, I felt like, I mean, because my, my business is obviously all raw, all vegan. And 
I kind of went into retirement mode when I had my baby. I mean, it took me a couple of years to really extract myself because I had a hard time. It kept pulling me back. I felt yeah. like I wanted to keep working. And I got to the point where I really wasn't blogging actively as much and doing much because I was doing the mom thing. Good for so you, by I, the way. Kid, thank you. Kids thank benefit you. greatly for life, and it's okay to take a little time to be with your kids. Absolutely. And and what a difference in my child when my time wasn't my when my brain wasn't divided. So I I didn't know if I was gonna tell people. I felt like I probably didn't have to because I wasn't technically working anymore. I wasn't out there actively promoting my books and stuff. My blog was up for people who wanted, but I wasn't doing much to promote them. At the same time though, I felt a responsibility. I thought people have got to know about this just in case they're experiencing the same thing. Or, you know, when I thought about my child, I thought, I think more people need to just think about this. So I went ahead and blogged about it. And for the most part, I received a ton of support. I, I mean, I got so many emails of people saying they went through the same thing or, wow, I look to you as an expert and to see you be so honest was really brave. and. I thought to myself, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And my book sales tanked and, yeah. you know, but I was cool with that. It's like, you know, whatever I'm, I'm out there. I mean, do I still make some raw vegan recipes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do too. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like I'm anti raw or anti vegan. Sometimes my, my afternoon smoothie is vegan, but you know, the, the majority of my diet is full on high quality omnivore. Now there were a few people that didn't like what I did and they were parents. And well, some of them weren't parents, but um, I think what can happen is when you're feeding your child vegan and you think you're doing the right thing and then someone comes out and says that it might not be the right thing, you just, you get defensive naturally. Well, it's right to the heart. It says you're a bad parent. It, and, exactly. And if, and if you have so much love that you intentionally did this relatively restrictive, hard to do diet, um, whether, you know, whether it's bulletproof or vegan, it, it doesn't really matter. E either way, right. you're going to identify the quality of your parenting, the quality of the love for your family with what the way you care for them. So when someone comes up and says, no, it, it, it really does uh, kind of push things, it just pushes emotional buttons that are really easy to push. They are, yeah. And so I got a little bit of flack for it, but I was, at that time, I was like, I do not care. This is about me, this is about my family. I live in a free country, I can eat what I want. Yeah. You know, that's what it boils down to is the health of my family and that trumps everything. It, it does trump everything. It also demonstrates something else. Kristen, and it, it's integrity. It, if you had sat there and said, oh, I'm doing this, but it's going to be my dirty little secret and I'll keep it in the closet, that that's not, at least in my experience, the way to live, right? Like, like call it like it is. I get flack like that on on my blog too. Like I recently uh, we'll say endorsed uh, a type of raw milk-based fermented thing uh, from a company called Beyond Organic. And I did it because I vetted it extensively the thing that I really dislike about it is that they have a multi-level marketing thing. And I warn people, I'm like, like this is not going to make you millions of dollars, but if you want to get like the right kind of casein in a dairy product that isn't inflammatory, this is the only thing I've been able to eat from this type of food group in the last 10 years that doesn't cause inflammation. I've tested on other people. So it's a legitimate product with the right stuff behind it. I don't like this part of it. Oh my God, I got a bunch of flack. And it occurred to me that I could either like hide the fact that I think this is an okay thing, even though it's associated with MLM, or I could just put it out there. And I've made that decision, and it sounds like you have too, like just being honest and having high integrity and saying, hey, I learned something new. It trumps whatever, you know, hate mail you're going to get because, you know, you changed your mind as you learned something. The last thing I ever want to be is static because, you know, if you stop changing, it seems like you start dying. Absolutely. So kudos, kudos to you for making the decision to, to talk about what you're doing, including the time when you were doing the raw vegan thing and, and whatever else. So I, I hope everyone who's evolving is willing to talk about their evolution instead of being afraid, oh, I evolved, but I didn't tell anyone. Um, because <laughs> I'm quite certain that I'll learn something else about food. And maybe right now I think something's really good for you. And I swear, if I had data that said butter over the 20-year time, time frame was actually bad for you, I would have to rethink what I'm doing and I would change it. So far, I haven't seen the data, thank goodness, because I really like Bulletproof Coffee. <laughs> right on. Now, I heard that you just got back from a four-week road trip with your husband and your three-year-old daughter. Travel and eating any kind of high-quality diet are, don't always go together. What did you eat on this trip? How did you do it? Did you accidentally go to In-N-Out? Like, what's the... <laughs> I doubt it. But... <laughs> 
Okay, so we first, we op, we went to Michigan, and I have family in Michigan, so we knew that once we were in Michigan, we were going to stay a couple of weeks. And we opted to drive because I wanted to bring all my stuff. And you were driving and from where? Arizona to Michigan. Okay, it's a long so road trip. It's a long, it's a long road trip, but we like road trips, and, and uh, so they're fun. We have a minivan, so I knew I could load it up. So the first thing is... When we were planning our trip, we knew that we would stay like four nights on the road, five days of driving because we have a toddler. And I made sure to pick places to stay at night that were near a Whole Foods. And then I used Yelp and I looked up grass-fed restaurants. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that they're out there. So I packed up the, the, the minivan and I brought my sous vide, I brought my slow cooker, I brought my Technivorm coffee pot, I brought all of my upgraded beans, my Breville burr grinder, I loaded the thing up. Nice. And then I had a, a box that had sardines and canned foods that were high quality, maybe not ideal to always eat canned things, but right. perfect, perfect for road tripping. And I had a cooler because I knew that I could stop at Whole Foods every day and I could get eggs if I wanted, or I mm -hmm. could have uh, butter in the cooler and stuff. So packing all my stuff, just, you know, we looked a little ridiculous going right. into the hotel with two huge luggage carts for two adults and a toddler, but it worked. Um, we, I did not cheat per se, because I just, I planned ahead. And when you plan ahead, you can really make anything happen. I think the worst thing I did was we were in a town a couple of nights where I couldn't get access to Whole Foods right. or Chipotle and I mean, not Chipotle, um, grass fed meat. So we went to Chipotle and I had white rice and, and guacamole, you know, so <laughs> that's that exactly was the first what I order at Chipotle. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like that's my order. That's no, like guac, all I, yeah, exactly. And then they're like, they don't know how to charge you because <laughs> right. they're like, you have extra guac, yet you don't have anything else. So, so that was the first time I had had grains in like, God, I don't know, six, seven, eight months or something, but it was fine. I don't freak out about that. You know, there's, there's a little bit of room in the diet for flexibility and you know, I did everything else great. Um, I had my, I, I brought a, an immersion blender yep. and I had my bulletproof coffee in the hotel every morning <laughs> with the immersion blender. Um, I didn't bring the Vitamix, although in hindsight, I wish I would have. Right. Um, so that's how we did it. And it was easy. It was awesome. It was a fun experience. And I was really, like I said, I was excited to see so many restaurants across the U.S. that offered grass-fed burgers. So cool. It's becoming possible because of things like Google and, and Yelp and all where you can actually really understand, okay, yeah, there's something here. And by the way, I have to say, because we're talking about Yelp, Yelp is evil because oh. what they do and uh, I've heard this from several different uh, business owners, is they delete positive postings until you pay them. So they're basically hitting you up for like protection fees. I, I know a lot of people have talked to me about that. So I, I try to not use Yelp anymore because Interesting. they're mistreating small businesses. The ones who, you know, like, do I really have to spend $500 a month to allow the good reviews from my actual customers to be posted? And the short answer is, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a gray line that I've heard about, you know, I, I'm not saying definitively this happens. I'm just saying lots of people have told me it happens who have had this in their businesses. Hasn't happened to Interesting. me. So, Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for that tip. Sure. So yeah, we can talk about online reviews, but you know, let's not let's not throw any traffic their way until they're willing to open up to all reviews, including the positive ones. Well, next time I'll Google grass-fed restaurants, Oklahoma City. There you go, and see what I'm happens. Sure I'll get the and same if you thing. happen to read a review from that yellow review company, no problem, but. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone knows, like, hey, let, let's support the small restaurants. And one of the ways you can do that is, you know, make sure that they get good reviews in lots of places. That's a positive Absolutely. way of putting it. So what does your three-year-old eat? A lot of people ask me about, like, okay, what do you feed your kids? What's a typical, like, kid morning, kid lunch, kid snack? Okay, so mornings are where I try to throw something together quickly for her. So we will sometimes have grass-fed summer sausage or liverwurst. And I remember hearing on a podcast you had said something about celery salt yep. and how it could be problematic. So now I'm rethinking that, but I'm not sure if it's a good thing or not. Can you chime in? Oh, totally. So here's the, here's the short thing. You can put actually nitrates in any kind of cured meat, and I use nitrates when I make my own bacon, actual proper nitrates that are meant for meat curing. Or if you want to sort of get around that idea and say nitrate-free, what you do is you take nitrite, which is celery salt. 
So when you really concentrate the celery down, the celery plant is the one that's highest in nitrites of all the common vegetables. So they're saying, hee hee, you know, here you go, look, it's all, all organic celery salt, but it's the same thing. Here's the trick though. It doesn't matter if there's nitrates in your food, as long as the bacteria in your gut are healthy, because it's the bacteria in your gut that make nitrosamines from the nitrates. Okay. So what that means is that if you can eat them and you don't have a, a negative effect from them, and you're eating the kinds of foods you do where your gut flora are healthy, that having moderate amounts of nitrates don't appear to be harmful really at all. I'm okay. sensitive to nitrosamines. If I get nitrosamines, um, I get like swelling in my forehead. I've had this for a very long time. And I've been able to reduce it by changing the bacteria in my gut. The other trick is, if you're going to eat food with nitrates or nitrites, whichever one in it, there's a very simple way of preventing the formation of nitrosamines in the gut, aside from having the right bacteria, vitamin C. If you take oh. vitamin C and you have it in the meal with the mm -hmm. food that has nitrates in it, then you block the formation in the gut. There you go. Sweet. So I just okay. pop a, sprinkle a little vitamin C on into the food, and I don't think it's a problem. Uh, and okay. if you see behavioral issues, then it's a problem. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, you got it. So, um, so sometimes we'll do liverwurst, and uh, maybe she'll have some a little bit of uh, frozen fruit or some berries. When I say frozen fruit, I usually mean like frozen blueberries or frozen raspberries um, if it's out of season or if it's in right. season, some fresh berries. Um, and we'll do eggs. She loves eggs, so that's a common breakfast. So um, sometimes I like to make a frittata, which cooks the eggs a little bit more than my liking, but it makes for kind of an easy breakfast for her. So on occasion we do that as well because I can slice it up yeah. into little pieces. So Perfection uh, is not required. I mean, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm totally cool with that, and my stress level goes down <laughs> because right. I'm feeding her some quality ingredients. And lunch is kind of the same thing. We kind of get the little uh, tray together that has little, what do you call it, uh, with the little different holes in it. Where little you can dividers, put little, yeah. Yeah, little dividers. Right. And Ours so, is shaped like a butterfly, by the way. I have a school bus. <laughs> but we're we're going to homeschool, so it doesn't matter anyway. She's like, what's this? <laughs> but um, anyway, at dinner, she sits down and eats with us. So, so basically, here's the thing. She eats like we do. And there's no goldfish. There's no snacking all day long. She sits down and has dinner with us, and she's been doing that since she was two and a half. Um, she eats the stew I make. She loves it. She says, oh, mom, this is yum in my tum. She eats, you know, the chicken soup, the broth I make, the liver. She eats everything, and she, she loves it. She does not get sugar in her diet uh, unless it's from something like fruit. Uh, which, you know, we don't have a ton of, but a moderate amount for her. And, um, you know, occasionally we'll do a little bit of maple syrup or raw honey or something. But, you know, when I step back and when we go to a restaurant and I look at the children's menus and everything on it is crap. I mean, it's no wonder parents have difficulty getting their kids to eat good homemade meals because they're so used to brown food, yeah. <laughs> you know, chicken fingers, mac and cheese, and it's like, wow, you know, so my kid eats like we do. She's used to it. She eats high quality and I'm so proud of it. <laughs> that is awesome. You have such a lucky little girl. Yeah. Do you notice other children snack an amazing amount compared to your, to your kids or your child anyway? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. Like healthy kids have a metabolism where they can go more than two hours without having to like eat an apple or have some juice. And at our school, which is an amazing school, it's Waldorf and all this stuff, uh, we talked to the teachers and one of the teachers said, you know, the reason we instituted a mid-morning snack is that, especially at the young ages, so many of these kids can't focus on morning because they're getting an apple for breakfast or, you know, a little bit of some kind of vegetable, you know, grain thing without any fat. And for a growing child who's going to be playing outdoors and, you know, just being a kid to try and sustain energy for four hours, it's not going to happen. But I tell you, my kids like like oh, I guess I'll eat a snack. But the craving that most kids have for that, you know, mommy juice, mommy juice, it's just not there because they got their upgraded MCT oil, they got their butter, and uh, in fact, you'll love this just because you have a kid the right age. When Anna was uh, between like two and three, she sat on Santa's lap for the first time at the mall, and he says, "What do you want for Christmas, little girl?" And she looks at him and she says, "I want my own stick of salted butter." 
<laughs> and he looks at me like, oh, my God, like, are you, like, some kind of weird guy? And I'm like, yeah, just say yes, say yes. So he says yes. And then Christmas morning, of course, we give it to her. But she's got all these a bike and little cook set and all this stuff. And she's happy about those. But she opens the butter and she goes, <gasps> and this huge, like, child joy. And she holds it above her head like an Olympic torch. And she runs around the house going, ah, and opens it up like a Snickers bar and just, ah. And, oh and until it was gone, she would just, anytime she wanted, she could open the fridge and take a bite of her butter. And it was, like, liberating for her to, like, have butter power. And <laughs> it's just so cute. And it's so good for them. So good for you for for treating your little one that way. It, it's it's priceless. And the effects this will have when she's, you know, 15 because of epigenetics and when she's 20. And even when you know, she goes on to have her own kids, this is the time when you have the most leverage. So, like, mm-hmm. You're doing it, and what what a gift! Yeah, well, you know, um, a, a couple of tips are that I help. I let her help me in the kitchen. Oh yeah. You know, she whisks the eggs. She helps me make stuff, and it really gives her a, a vested interest. We go to the market, and I say, "What would you rather have, carrots or a sweet potato tonight?" You know, so <laughs> giving them some choices yeah. and letting them participate really makes a big difference. And then when we sit down to dinner, we say, "Oh, Daddy, look, we made this together," and so it's it's great. The other thing that 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 works along with that is I've taught my kids really consciously that food tastes better when you put love in it. So like, like they'll sit there and they'll put their hands over and go, look, look, I'm putting love in the food. Can you see I'm doing it? I'm like, yes, I can see. That's awesome. So yeah, yeah the idea of, of eating at anywhere other than a, a sushi place for my kids, you know, occasionally we'll go out for something like that. They're kind of like, like we eat at home, like we sit down at the table and I think it's helped our family. You know, who knows? And, and this works for any kind of diet to do these kinds of things with kids, but you know, to give your kids that extra boost in energy and just the right hormones for growth, strong bones. I'm convinced that what we're doing is right. Then again, I wrote a book about it. So maybe yeah. I have a vested interest in what I'm recommending here, but it, it seems real to me. Well, you know, I don't really have a vested interest and I'm just kind of doing what seems right. And you know what? It comes back to thinking about what's natural what do other cultures do? Are there any other cultures that are vegan? And oh, by the way, if they're vegan, which they're not, but if they were, have they been for multiple generations? I mean, has the fertility sustained throughout? No. And, you know, what did we evolve on? What's our ancestry? You know, when I thought about those things during my transition, um, oh, and I thought about just the biochemistry, you know, look at any biochemistry course and kind of go through a textbook and look at how nutrients are used and different uh, vitamins and minerals and fats and, and, and proteins and stuff. And it just, I felt so calm because it really felt natural and it felt safe. I was like, yeah. okay, we've been doing this a long time. <laughs> you know, I can do this. So it, it's proven in multiple generations. Uh, it's funny. One of my, uh, not very followed, but sort of most ardent critics, I believe is, is, a child of vegans. And on one of my podcasts, when I was talking about the Better Baby book, I said, look, you know, if, if you're a vegan family and, you know, you're looking at multiple generations of veganism, like I am concerned about generation multiple fertilities and I'm concerned about like the size of brains and cognitive dysfunction that can happen, especially when you're you're raising children to, to not have certain nutrients with the very best of intentions. And, and so like this could be a problem. And this guy interpreted it as, you know, well, Dave said, I'm stupid <laughs> because my parents were vegan. I'm like, that wasn't my point. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of funny because um, my intent with the work I'm doing is is to make sure that people have a roadmap to understand what what makes the body work and all that. And, and of course, there'll be variations and in individual experimentation and all that. But it seems so really important there. But I also want to get that message out to people that it as we're talking about these things that, that you've discovered in your own path and that I've discovered that it's not about, you know, this is better than something else. It's that this is what worked for us and there's the reasons it worked and it might work for you. And it's really easy to do a self-experiment and try it for three or six months. And if you have a mirror, <laughs> you, you'll understand what we're talking about. Yep, that's right. We're running towards the end of the show here. And there's a question <laughs> that I ask Everyone who's been on the show except one person when I forgot, which wasn't so bulletproof. But anyway, <laughs> the question is, what are the top three things that you've learned in your life? Not necessarily as a vegan or a chef or anything like that, just things you've learned 
that are most important for you to be higher performance and sort of to kick more ass. So if you were to offer advice to someone, like only three things, what are they? Okay. The first one would have to be to remain open-minded and teachable and to ask questions, question your assumptions, and to reassess frequently. Um, it's been such a life lesson for me this past year to do that. I hadn't done it for about a decade, and I wish I would have. So I live a little bit in the land of regret for not having done it before, but my eyes have been opened now to where I'm open-minded, and I'm, I'm very open-minded to all of the stuff I'm even continuing to learn. You know, it's like, is this still right? You know, reassess, ask questions. So. It's really important to be humble and to remain teachable. That's, um, that's my first one. My second one would be posture. Posture is really important. And yes, there you go. <laughs> and, um, you know, we live in a culture with bad posture and not all cultures are like that. And we have a culture that has a lot of back problems as a result. And the thing about posture is that it's one of these things that if you have poor posture, you might not feel the effects you know, until you're older and then you're, you know, really up a creek. So um, having proper posture does have an immediate benefit in the sense that you have more energy when you sit upright or when you stand the right way and you're not slouching that there's a little bit of an immediate benefit. Your, your mental frame of mind is already like improved by sitting up. You feel more empowered, right? Instead of slouching. Um, there's a good book that I recommend. I bought it for my husband. It was called um, Eight Steps to a Pain-Free Back, I think. And it sounds like it's all about the back, but she talks about posture and she talks about the proper way to have posture for sitting, riding a car, standing, et cetera. So that might be a good place to start, but just you know, sit up straight, have good posture. Um, and the third one would be to calm your mind. And I have three tips for that. So the first one is that you obviously don't sweat the small stuff. Um, you know, that's easy. Um, well, it's easy for me to say, I, I wasn't always good at it, but don't sweat the small stuff can take you a long way. And number two, along those lines of not sweating the small stuff is to be grateful. So if you find yourself depressed or stressed or with anxiety or upset about something, try to train yourself that you immediately think of two things for which you're grateful. You know, sometimes I think that I'm so grateful I have vision that I can see, I can read books, or I'm grateful that, um, you know, I was able to have a daughter with fertility, even though I had fertility problems. Um, I'm grateful that I live in Arizona where the sun shines all the time. So think of two things that you're grateful about and your mood will immediately improve. And the third tip for calming your mind is this little bag, which has the heart math <laughs> iPhone adapter in it. Oh my God, Dave, this thing is life changing for me. Did, did you get on that because of the, because of the Bulletproof blog or, yeah. or did you know about, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, because I'm of you. I'm so grateful too. that you tried it. Uh, it's awesome. You know, I, along the whole thing of being calm, you know, most people say meditate and my thing was always don't sweat the small stuff. Um, be grateful. That will, you know, definitely help you. But when it came to meditation, sucked at it. And I, know, I was like, like meditation, you're doing it wrong. Like, you I know, <laughs> which most meditators would say, no, you're still doing it, even yeah. though you think you're doing it wrong. But this thing rocks. So I plug it into my iPhone and I've only had it for a few weeks, but I'll sit there and 25 minutes will go by and I've, I'm in high coherence. <laughs> Here's a trick for you. Give it to, put your phone on airplane mode first. So you don't like cook your, your kid, but give it to your three-year-old my three-year-old loves to play the inner balance game. Yeah. And you know, you, you tell a three-year-old, like, take a deep breath. And they go, <laughs> they don't understand what a deep breath is. You, I say, Alan, take a deep breath. He goes, <sighs> because the little the little icon on there you know, that expands and contracts, it's yeah. so uh, compelling for kids that they learn to calm their their themselves. And I'll see him now when he starts to, you know, get wound up about, you know, his Legos broke or something. And and he'll like struggle and then he'll do the technique. And it's so cool to see just a little kid learning how to control that part of their mind. And to them, it's fun. It's the magic fairy breathing game. So if you're listening to this, you haven't heard about it, um, UpgradedSelf.com. It's called the Inner Balance Sensor. And um, you can certainly purchase it from the Heart Math Institute. But I appreciate if you support the podcast by buying it through my site because it helps to support all the research. Uh, well, I didn't expect you to say that one, Kristen. Wow, that's that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. 
Well, that concludes our show. I really had a great time chatting with you and uh, kudos to you for your integrity and just going with what felt right for you and your family. You've, you've done some awesome things and really enjoyed talking with you today. I did too. Thank you so much for having me. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.